0: Hey, hey, all you Arizona lovers, this is the Finding Arizona podcast, episode number 348. I'm your host, Jose. As always, we bring in very special guests, and today's no different. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd love to introduce you to our guest, Sergey, who is behind Restoration HQ. Uh, we had a lot of fun talking to him. He was very intelligent, very, very, very resourceful, and very, uh, very much an open book. Um, I had a very interesting conversation with him about things that are in the trade uh, things that are a part of the environmental side so all in all it was just a conversation for those of you who don't know what restoration is would be in the commercial side. This is a great opportunity for you guys to learn and understand what he's dealing with on the challenges and understand his business. So I encourage you guys always check in with our guests and with the links that we provide in every bio. And as that being said, we'll jump into a little bit of more of the businessy side. You can catch every episode of our podcast at findingarizonapodcast.com. We make it easy for you guys to connect with us. It's all under Finding Arizona Podcast. That's Twitter, Instagram, facebook and now that if you're watching it in person it is youtube as well uh all that being said connect with us tell us who you want in next and with that we will continue forward into the episode podcast number 348 we will catch you on the next one and as always kisses hugs and belly rubs Welcome back, everybody, to the Finding Arizona podcast. I'm your host, Jose. As always, we bring in very special guests every week, and today is no different. Ladies and gentlemen, all the way from Restoration HQ, ladies and gentlemen, I would love to introduce you to Sergey. Sergey, welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: I'm glad you're you're telling us a little bit about this business and just kind of, um, you know, it's something that I very much like when you need it, you need it. And I, I know a little bit about, you know, construction and, and just because I'm a landscape architect in my day job. And so, you know, there are definitely things that I can relate to with this, but for the people who don't um, and my listeners in being involved, I would love to kind of get a synopsis of what Restoration HQ does and just how it became a business and just give us a little bit of your origin story, essentially.
1: Okay, Um, how do I keep you interested in a a, a business that's not super exciting? So a little background, Um, I started in restoration industry still in my senior year in high school, Um, Mm. just like most probably people, didn't have any idea what I was doing or where I was going as far as life. But yeah. I, do, I did know that I really enjoyed math and science. And a buddy of mine worked for this restoration company, which was a little bit smaller. It was a family-owned business. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a call one night. He said, hey, I know you don't have anything going on. I got this big project. You want to come help us out? Nice. So I went to help out. And during the midst of it, it was, a, it was a residential project. The homeowner bought us pizza. And I remember looking and going you're telling me you you come to this job you charge them for it and they feed you and he said yeah i said well this is a good gig i kind of like this <laughs> and it started with that and continued on and then i really realized that there is a lot of um science that goes into it right restoration mm-hmm. it, it has a bad reputation a bad name because uh, i always say that cost of entry into restoration is very cheap right you buy a couple fans you buy a vacuum Congratulations! Your restoration company is how people think, right? Because all we do is extract water and set up a bunch of fans, is what mm-hmm. they say. Uh, but the reality of it is, there is—it's very complex. There is, you know, you, you're working with physics, you're working with evaporation rates, you're working with um, bound moisture, temperatures, energy for drying. Uh, mold is 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 a side effect of that. So there's so many different layers to it. It's like this big onion, yeah. but it's not known by many. And I. Got hooked by that. I got hooked by the complexity of it, the variety of it. And and every day is a new day and you don't know what's happening. Example is is we we talked, I don't normally wear safety gear, but today was one of those days where I had to. And I love that because you you get this variety. As far as Restoration HQ, uh, Restoration HQ just started its ninth year. And I've been in the industry for, I'm, I'm in my 21st year. And uh, the first company that I worked with, I was with them for about 12 and a half years yeah. and departed. Uh, that's a whole different sad s- story that goes around that. But um, I departed and I decided that I wanted to change the industry, right? Mm-hmm. Every every entrepreneur is all, I'm going to create the next best product. Yeah. So that was my goal. And what that meant was to start a company that had an alliance mm-hmm. to the end user, to the customer and not to the insurance company, which is very untraditional in our industry. Insurance companies, as we know, um, provide a lot of work. Uh, No different than a medical industry. If you're a doctor, you want to align yourself with insurance companies to get the coverages, things like that. Restoration companies are very similar the same way. The adjusters will give them work. They'll get a preferred program list. But the problem with that is it changes loyalty. The contractor is no longer loyal to the customer. They are loyal to the insurance companies, because let's be honest, who's going to buy the hand that feeds them? Yeah, exactly. So when I said I wanted to change the industry, I did two things, commercial only, no residential. And the second part about it is no insurance program work. We only develop our own relationships, and Mm -hmm. we deal with customers that not only approve us as their teammate, but we approve them as our teammate as well.
0: I love that. So there's a mutual benefit, or at least a a mutual communication in that sense between you and and the end user, like you were saying. I would love to kind of pick your brain about just kind of the early developments of this and, you know, kind of why why these foundational pieces are so distracting, or at least in the sense of they are um, impeding some of the work and allowing this kind of monopoly factor essentially coming up to, or at least not mo- mo- monopoly, but at least like allowing these like overarching umbrella insurance companies to become now the main factor instead of the end user?
1: Well, I, I would, you know, there's a, there's a couple of theories that I have about that, right? But if we look at the residential world, Mm-hmm. You know, an average home policy could be between a thousand to two thousand dollars a year, okay. right? Yeah, an average yeah. deductible is about five hundred bucks. So now you've got a homeowner who has a loss, and the loss is ten thousand dollars. So if you were the insurance carrier and you only insured this person for a year, you're eight grand in the hole, roughly, right? If, yeah. If kind of rough numbers. Of course, you're gonna want to save every dollar you can. I mean, you look at State Farm if they have a million claims to save a dollar, there's a million bucks. Very simple, mm-hmm. quick, easy math. So insurance companies have realized that their adjusters are not make you whole, but instead, they're revenue generators. Got it. So adjusters' job is to protect the insurance company. Mm-hmm. Now, there are good adjusters, there's bad adjusters, there's good doctors, bad doctors, right? Every industry has that, that spread. But if you were that homeowner and you're facing a $10,000 bill and you don't have the money. But you have the the money for the deductible and your insurance company comes in and says certain key things that makes you second guess the contractor, like, well, this may not be covered claim, or if they're charging more than what our preferred vendors want to pay, then you're gonna be stuck for having to pay the difference. Often people will just give in and say, I'm just gonna go with the insurance company. So then the contractors realize that I've got to align myself with the insurance company if I'm a value to them. I'm going to be the one that they put on that list, which means I'm going to get volume of work. Yeah. But what they didn't realize by doing that, the phrase that I use is we sold our soul to the devil. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying the insurance companies are all bad. That's not what I mean. But What I'm saying is that we have given away our commitment to quality in exchange for volume of work. Got it. Yeah. And as that continued on, when I started an industry, it wasn't as bad. And it continued on and on and just progressively got worse. Mm-hmm. And it got worse because more and more people got into a restoration company. Because if you were to look at it, they always advertise 60% gross margins. Mm-hmm. Yes, because we have a lot of equipment. But what yeah. they don't say is your net is not even close to that. And what I know from businesses, you know, they say, uh, revenue is for bragging, right? Uh, your income is actually for peace of mind. Yeah, so when yeah. people talk about, well, I have a $5 million business, but they're only keeping 3% net, it, you you question you know, the uh, how it works. So yeah. the previous company I worked for, we did a lot of residential. And it wasn't until 2008 that my career shifted in commercial. And it mm-hmm. happened because the company that I was working for All our home builders, everybody who we're working with, all of a sudden started filing bankruptcies. And we were facing potential loss of the business since at that point, about 54% of our annual revenue was in accounts receivable. And we were just told we're not going to get it. So we had to shift gears. And once I shifted gears, I realized that there was this big void where the commercial client understands the building, understands how to operate it. But they're dealing with a residential company who has been... Forced into being obedient to listen to the insurance companies and working at such small margins that they can't invest into their employees to learn the science of drying. Mm-hmm. And I just saw this complex mess that was going on. And the only people that were suffering were the insured. So the shift to commercial came with that. And you know, the example I give if you've ever been in a car accident, right? Yeah. Nobody ever walks away from that claim saying everything was great. There's always pain points. Adjuster takes too long to respond. They're wanting to use used parts. They only paint the fender, but not the door. You can see the paint not matching. Yeah. Similar yeah. things happen in, in, in commercial properties and residential. You know, If your whole house has the same type of wood floors and you only had damage in one bedroom, the insurance mm-hmm. company is going to be like, I'm only replacing the bedroom, but that floor is discontinued.
0: Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I... I... I mean, it's one of those things that just, again, pops up, you know, you would think as, you know, the residential portion, but it's like, again, it's, it pops up in commercial, it pops up pretty much in everyday situations. And one of the main things that we can talk about is environmental factors. We talk about haboobs and, you know, the rain factor here in Phoenix and just kind of the storm surges that kind of, you know, really make an effect on those areas. Um, And one of the the biggest things that, I mean, you start to hear, too, is like the hurricanes and that kind of effect towards um, some of the other states around us that are near those areas. For you, like, you know, as you're starting to, you know, draw, like bring in the understanding of the science portion, was there any opportunity to start looking at this kind of environmental factor and what kind of education have you Delve into for that, and you know what have you learned, or what have you gained knowledge-wise, kind of considerably for the last you know eight years. Is it a lot of change? I would love to ask, like a lot of change as far as far as environmental factors have you seen?
1: You know, if you're referring to like changes in how Mother Nature behaves,
0: yeah, like um, it's been increasing in factors as far as like you know having to deal with water damage right after a storm
1: you know it's it's hard to answer that one i'm i would say i'm still a student of that and i'm still kind of keeping my eyes open obviously you get different perspectives if i had to put mine on it um and using arizona as as a home base since this is where i'm at right yeah yeah. um if we notice our monsoons have changed Mm -hmm. uh they've changed as far as the predictability of them the timing Mm -hmm. of them Uh, sometimes we go a couple of years without having them, right? So there's just been this difference. When I got into the industry, I remember a phrase I used to tell my family, from May to September, if you see me, consider yourself lucky, right? It was almost guaranteed that during those months, I was going to be extremely busy. We're going to have rains. We're going to have all these things happening. And it's not as much anymore. But Mm -hmm. I think part of that, that I have to give credit to is a development in construction, development huh. in different systems, the, yeah. the technology changing as far as the kind of pumps we have, how they're placed, the engineering behind it. I think yeah. a lot of those factors come into play to say that the storms have changed, but we as humans have changed how we build the buildings. Got
0: it. That's totally like uh, one of those situations where I I really want there to be an understanding like you're like you're really taking in every portion of not only the site but as as the surrounding context as well because again we're dealing with something and i'll i'll just like the weather's changing it's affecting these other critical factors such as storm surges and the waterfront the waterfront properties quote unquote (laughs) and in in the area because i own one i'm right (laughs) off the canal it it's just becomes you You see it, you see the waters go up and down and up and down. And we also see it in the news reports for the Colorado River. It's going yep. up and down and up and down. I just like, again, as a factor of your own business, like you can start to see that. And, you know, the trickle down factor as far as like what commercial areas. And But I love this understanding, like we as humans, as a context in the in the business as mm-hmm. well are educating ourselves and developing better techniques to kind of help those mitigate yep. and mitigate those factors. I'd love to understand from your kind of background, what Arizona is now, you know, doing as far as this is become now the sixth largest city in the world or in the U S sorry. Um, and we have become, I think we're now in the fifth position, but it's like, you know, you start to see the population growth and you start to see construction being, you know, everywhere. For your own understanding, you know, as you become, uh, as this Arizona and Phoenix becomes more metropolitan and developing more and more, what are some of the factors that you having to deal with as far as having to be on more sites, having to, you know, buy or having to hire more, you know, employees and dealing with those factors? Is it, A steady increase? Is it, you know, you guys are dealing with a wave of here and there because of, you know, certain laws being passed? Give us the insight.
1: You know, the way I would put it is we're continuing to stay busy and get busier. Mm -hmm. And it comes as a double-edged sword. Okay. Um, A lot of the volume of work, I would say at least over the last 12 months, has Mm -hmm. mostly been a result of poor workmanship. Mm. It wasn't the systems failing themselves. It's, you know, the journeymen, electricians or plumbers who haven't had the right experience that are being tossed into bigger projects. Yeah. And they're having to learn in the field. So it's almost like we're going back 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. When we still didn't have the experience. And I think that happened is because I mean you hear this mass message about shortage of tradesmen, right? So it's, it's, it's been out there. Uh, there's a big movement in Arizona called Build Your Future Arizona to try to motivate and do all of that. And, you know, we're part of the supported. And what I'm seeing is, uh, example, this morning, the jobs that I was on, uh, the issues that they were having was not a failure of material. It wasn't a failure in design or system. Yeah. It was yeah. simple oversight by a, an installer who was either spread too thin because mm-hmm. the shortage they had, or just didn't have the right attention to detail. God. There was a, an, a, an elbow on the 13th floor of a building uh, that, w- I'm sorry, the 10th floor of the building that was not properly connected. And mm-hmm. when they pressurized the system, it blew out and it flooded out all 10 floors of a building, right? Uh-huh. So you think about it and you go, well, we have the right equipment. We have the technology. We have all that. But I think the human component right now is what we're all suffering with. God, In addition yeah. to what, you know to that and the question you asked is we have so much construction going on. So then on top of that, I'm needing more people to service a lot more sites. But in my world, I just can't take anybody. It takes a special person to enjoy getting up at two o'clock in the morning on a Sunday (laughs) to go to a flood that may be smelly and hot and everything else. So it really does require a certain person. It's no different than ambulance or firefighters. It takes a certain caliber of a person, right? Absolutely. So between me having difficulties of finding it, Systems getting more complex, and GCs and subcontractors also not having the right people to train them. We're kind of in the midst of the storm, yeah, and a storm that is obviously lucrative because we respond to jobs, and that's how we make business. But at the same time, scary mm-hmm. because if we run out of these skilled people, who's going to build the buildings? Exactly. Who's going to service? Them?
0: Exactly. I wonder, I'm very like, uh, you know, that concerns me. And I've noted that, too, as far as the what you brought up, the education portion of, you know, kind of the mayor's office and and some of the others supplementing um, government officials and groups wanting to educate the uh, student factor. Like going back to the high school portions, allowing vocational schools and trade schools and and allowing that being more of a because they understand what's happening in the growth in the population uh, being, you know, losing those skilled workers. I, I have noted that more and more being like a part of the education portion, just because mm-hmm. I'm a new dad. And so it's like, I want to look into schools and stuff like that. Um, the other thing, by the way, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, the other thing I would love to talk to you about is this technology um, gap that I would love to like ask you about. One of the things from my end is as a designer, where technology is kind of keeping up and also not at the same time. One of the cool things that I've learned or kind of built in my world was the starting of visualization with BIM and then moving into um, artificial, like uh, putting on the goggles and started. Um, Have you guys run into any kind of technology that has allowed, you know, beyond the fans and the pumps and everything like that. Maybe, a, like, I would love to hear if there's anything that you would love to see as far as helping you guys out technology-wise, or if there's anything cool that you've stumbled across in your field.
1: So I'm a big techie guy, too. I, I love technology and systems. And trust me, I have spent a lot of money of trying to find a way to apply different things. Sure. So the one that comes to mind that is really still kind of new even though the technology itself hasn't been new is the Matterport hmm. uh, oh, nice. the, the, so it's a 3d um dollhouse walkthrough so realtors have been using it for a while where you can walk the property in a different state and mm-hmm. be there and zoom in and look at it. I guess it would be like google maps of buildings right the inside of it yeah while the technology is Great, and it really allows the end user to look at their properties at dollhouse and see where the equipment is and see where the damage is the problem comes in as a time factor you know if you think about it when we're responding to a loss uh uh, like the one i was just telling you about we got it there in the middle of the night right you get about 20 guys that are showing up they're running around they're extracting water they're figuring it out it's an active construction site there's Uh other tradesmen there so you have all of these obstacles there really isn't an ideal time to say to everybody, don't extract any water. Let me go through and photograph it, right? Because nobody's going to be okay with that. Yeah. And Matterport is is fast, but it's not instant. And if yeah. it, it, a little snapshot about it is you put the camera, it does a 360, it, it builds the file. Then you put yeah. it to the next one and it keeps stitching it to build this big file. Yeah, yeah. But it takes time. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you can't really capture the way you would love to, to show somebody what you discovered. Yeah. So then you think, okay, well, let's do it after all the equipment has been all set up and, and, and it's going. Well, then the impact is a little bit gone, right? You don't you don't get all those things going on. So it's, we're finding new ways to utilize it to help speak to our customer that may be remote to give mm-hmm. them an idea of what we're up against, because the reality of restoration, it's expensive it is very very expensive and you know uh, the project we're on i mean you got 10 floors flooded out once it's all said and done with 150k very quick and easy yeah. nobody budgets for that right nobody's prepared for that mm-hmm. i'm i'm aware of that and i've tried to find a way i would say that over communication through email or any kind of service based systems yes. is still the go to Okay. If you're yeah, giving a yeah. customer an update in real time, if you have ability for them to be able to feed information to you as far as a request or concerns, real time see that, real time updates. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're using GPS on all our trucks, we're using GPS on all our employees. We want to see where they're walking, how they're doing. Yeah. So we're trying to find all these different components to try to apply it, but the reality of it, if you look at the fire uh, fire department, right? Mm-hmm their infrared cameras are probably the techiest stuff that they got. Yeah. But beyond that, so it's annex, oxygen mass. water,
0: oxygen. Yep,
1: I get it. Right. No, I, so- and that's
0: why that's why I'm like anything that we can kind of discuss here and just kind of bring out in those high pressure moments and you've already done it. Like I just I I 100% agree that like there are, you know, portions of like this tech the data collection the you know kind of helping you guys orient yourselves in the moment but it's like yeah it's not instant it's not like it's not gonna it's more meant for collection in a prime moment like in a non-lethal non you know uh, critical moment so um, no, i would the... say
1: if there was a way to take google earth car that can drive down the road at speeds of thirty and forty miles an hour, and collect that data. To then, then it would be a different story. And I did yeah. see this a little bit. I'm assuming it's very expensive. It was it was a piece that you kind of put on yourself. It had uh, radars on it. It had cameras on it. So it was yeah. constantly taking measurements of things, yeah, and you yeah. just walk the building. Oh, if that gosh. can become a little bit more affordable and better, then. In that beginning of the loss, the guys can continue extracting while one person walks the entire place, yeah. gives it a real good view. Maybe it takes a day or two to process it. That's okay. Yeah. But it's just expensive. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, employees and technicians, they're not always very careful with your stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, yeah. Um, I I also want to just say, too, because now it's come to dawn, my, dawn in my head is that what you're talking about too is already um, helping Google do their trails mapping, which is along like uh, mountain trails and mountain trail heads and things like that. And you can kind of, if you look and do the research, you can see the uh, look up the techs who do it and you can see like their gear of like how it Mm -hmm. looks and stuff like that. So yes, I have seen something like that where it's just like, yeah, it's constantly on and it's just like someone like, it looks like, over hiking gear and just yes. like, you just like go and you just walk and it's just, yeah, it's it's so cool to me because again, it's like, I, I myself get nerd out about it. And then it's like one of those things, it's like, you can almost pinpoint every little bit of the building and just, you know, those factors of like when it's data collection at the highest and it's like, you can almost kind of see the matrix and mm-hmm. see, you know, everything. Thank and you. In- they,
1: there's a, there's another factor at the very last one, just to stay on that topic is getting paid, right? Often restoration companies, just like the fire department or an ambulance, mm-hmm. we're expected to go in and get it done. Mm-hmm. But then we have to make the person, the adjuster or whoever is paying the bill, understand what happened mm-hmm. days after it happened. Yeah. And that's where the difficulty comes in, right? Because when they can look at it and be like, well, yeah, 20 guys out there. Did you need 20? And mm-hmm. you tell them, yes, they feel maybe kind of thing. So having that data would be very easy to give to them and say, this was the challenge. This is what we were up against. This is why we did what we did.
0: Yeah. And then so, like, again, back to the you're not trying to bite the hand that feeds you. It's like you're you're appeasing them almost. And it's like, well, how can we appease you if we don't really have the data collection? You know, we can't give you that because it's 10 days later. We don't you know, we can't people understand it's like, even if you were doing a interview with someone days later, it's like their mind isn't fully uh, capturing everything and it's not going to get you 100% of what you need. So I'm as a
1: spackle for the mind, it patches all the holes and makes everything better.
0: Dude, you got the best sayings. I got to, I got to write <laughs> some of these down. These are good. Um, so can I pivot towards, you know, you personally, what are some of the things In your own life um that you'd like to keep you know is it you know because you were talking to me off air like you had to get up at four in the morning that's a crazy schedule like you must be on call and stuff are there any things like gym meditation whatever that keeps you kind of centered and not jumping off the walls
1: (laughs) so i don't know if you know the name cameron harold uh cameron harold uh he's written a bunch of books uh one of his Best books that I really like was uh, "Meetings Don't Suck." You suck at running meetings, right? So it's good for like leaders to read about how to make yeah. them better. But I went to one of his presentations and he spoke about the three different components that he believes entrepreneurs had to have, and he kind of had. And it could be a little controversial. Some people may disagree with that, and especially because it talks about a potential disease, right? But he yeah. used it yeah. in a way to really help understand. He said most entrepreneurs suffer from three things, ADHD, bipolar, and Tourette's. Now, obviously, there was some feelings around people. Like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, think of it. You're doing 50 different things at the same time throughout the day. You're mm-hmm. sending out emails. You're speaking to your coworkers. You're doing this. And all of a sudden, something happens. You run off there. And then a new meeting pops up. And you're getting up to speed. And then this. And then that. He goes, clinically, that would be inability to focus on one thing. He goes, but the way I look at it is look about at your computer's operating system if you ever do the task manager control our delete okay. right you can see every software how much of cpu it's consuming mm-hmm. and the computer distributes it based on what it needs so i said yep check i, I have that problem i i have that right squirrel i'm, I'm off to the side <laughs> then he said about bipolar and i said well i was kind of confused on it but he goes think of it this way morning starts great mm-hmm. and you have a bad meeting at 10 and you're okay. down and at 11 o'clock, you meet a customer for lunch. And all of a sudden, you're happy and, and cheery again. He goes, we go through these mood swings where the world's on fire. Everything's great. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to do this anymore. I love my job, right? Yeah, you got all yeah. of these going on. And as far as the Tourette's, he goes, sometimes we don't filter our thoughts. Because we're running so fast, we're getting all this information out. So mm-hmm. I kind of thought about it. So to answer your question, I am aware that my brain operates like that. Um, I think this is why I love this industry is I didn't think I was going to work at four o'clock this morning. In fact, I wasn't supposed to have my first meeting until seven. My guys called, there was an emergency. I got excited. I ran, squirrel, right? So there I am. While sitting here talking to you, I'm still thinking about the job and what needs to be done. And once you're you done, I'm gonna run, you know, on and keep going because I got a bunch of big pieces of equipment coming in. Yeah. So now I'm excited to go down there. So I've accepted that and said, okay, so how do I unplug? So what works for me is um I can't say I'm a new dad anymore because mine's two and a half. I'm not having any more, so I'm gonna ride it out a little bit. I'm still a new dad.
0: I I will ride that out until he's a little bit more like the probably like threes. when I'm yeah. like, yeah, like that's I, the end I of stopped
1: it. counting <laughs> months past like 18, right? You know, it's 14 months, right? <laughs> 18 like it a a so it's a year and a half. So <laughs> my my son was born in February of 2020 when COVID was happening. Yeah. So I was stressed. There was a lot going on. We were very busy uh, dealing with a lot of emergencies. But what I realized, what works for me is being dad. So when I get a chance to unplug, and the Mm -hmm. way we unplug, me and my fiance, we like to go camping. So we'll take our our travel trailer. We'll go up somewhere in north, preferably with no cell phone reception. So I can unplug my brain. It's a similar technique that Bill Gates uses when he takes a week off for just reading and thinking. Mm Yeah. It's a it's a specifically planned blackout, mm-hmm. and I need to do this two to three times a year to keep my brain working. Holy Beyond man. that, I am part of a group called uh, it's EO uh, Entrepreneurs Organization, and it's yeah. an Arizona yeah. chapter. And through that organization, one day a month, we have to unplug and be present to a meeting. Mm. And in that meeting, in my forum, in every forum, we have the safe space to sometimes be selfish, to be angry, to be greedy, and be able to vent it and get it out so we don't have these emotions build up. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you you, you can't always express how you feel or frustration about a moment. And by keeping it inside, it just like builds that pressure. Yeah. So unplugging and pressure relieving is, is what works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I like to go out and eat. I, I feed my soul. That's that's I love what that
0: doing. dude you you and I are two peas in the pod because I'm the same boy but mine I'm like you said I understand my myself I can I can really look inward sometimes and just really get that's like my brain works the way it does and I can I can control it I have control over my own self and so the things that help me and knowing that my own schedule is the dog dog needs to go for a walk. I go outside i go take her for a walk around the block i take in the moment i don't bring my phone i just really listen to nature in the morning and the same thing like other factors too sometimes little guy wants to go you know for a walk outside it's like we go together as a family we take a five minute break we don't bring our phones it's again those little bits that we know that we can handle because he's still kind of young and we're still trying to figure out you know the schedule so that we you know he's kind of stayed a path of like calm and just continue uh but that's one of the things that i love doing is just going on walks and just really allowing myself to let go of certain things um like you said that build up uh whether that's through work or through personal life and i think that's uh allowing ourselves to like really again not be concerned with the world that we're in, but allowing ourselves to just let go and in blackout, and just again let go and allow our brain to just uh, decompress, uh, and then you'll be fine. And it, it it's different for every person. For me, it doesn't take too long to let go, and doesn't take too long to um, let my mind uh, get out there. Once it's out in the, you know, going for the walk for other people who are for other people's schedule i totally understand you need that week you need that uh a couple of days i you know for me i just periodically throughout the day like i go outside and take my five minute walks and so that for me works it's yeah. not all the time it's not every day but it, at least i know how i feel and i know how i can control it and i know how i you know my body works so it's like again i i love how you've really understood yourself and understood what you need to like make that happen. So that really does mean a lot to me that you're allowing yourself those moments. Um, the other factor too, I'd love to just get for you to give everyone to understand is just a little bit of you are on as someone who's like on call. Like you, you, you do have a start date, but it's like, really, it's like when someone calls like in an emergency like this at four in the morning, you're, you're up and you're gone.
1: Luckily, I have a really, really good team.
0: Good.
1: Yes. Um, so I don't do that as frequently as I used to when I started in my career, right? Uh, it happens to be today, uh, my right-hand guy, has uh, uh, my operations manager, decided to take a vacation. He deserves <laughs> it. Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. So it was my opportunity to leave the office and run to the field. That's I cool. I never thought I would be a business owner. I never wanted to be a business owner. Um, I wanted to be a great restorer, and I think I'm a restorer in heart. Um, you know, reading the you know the different languages of love, I, I am a- definitely acts of service. That's how I show love, and that's what I that's what I like. So that's awesome! Running out in the middle of the uh, night, going to somebody who has an emergency—things that I love. But obviously, as the business grew and uh, as my career progressed, I became a little bit more of a keyboard warrior and a little bit less of a restorer. Some of my peers laugh at me. They're like, you don't even know how to restore buildings anymore. You just write emails all day. So I uh, I would say I'm normally not on call, but I am available for my customers 24-7 because of the commitment I made to them and to their yeah. organization. Today was just a day that I saw my opportunity to run out. Uh, I did. And I, in fact, I came back and I was talking to my office manager. She's like, you seem very happy i said i got my dopamine this morning right nah. i got my 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 fire the challenge i went in i ran the situation i overcame the challenges and then when i got back in the car i was like now nah, what right yeah. like it's so so but we are 24 365 we never Love use it. any answering services we have our in-house people answer the phone the guy who answers is the guy who's coming to it we're really building a different model and nice. We're very intentional about it. We have uh, multiple coaches that are guiding us on different steps of the business. I'm a big believer to anybody who's out there is that get yourself a coach. It is not a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player, had shooting coaches, defensive coaches, uh, dietitians. He had all of these people keeping him operational. Um, so we are building a business and I am building a playbook. And nice. we're testing it out. So sometimes I do run out there to test it. Sometimes I just pop in to check on them. How's it going? But for the most part, I don't. I don't have to run out at four o'clock in the morning. I get to sleep in.
0: I, I get it. And you know what? I I appreciate how you brought those terms to the conversation here because again. The one thing that I love most is just understanding the story of the individual in the business. That's what I get my juices on. That's how I get my dopamine It's just this kind of extrovert conversation that you bring and, to halfway for me because I can be the best conversationalist at the end of the day, but it doesn't mean squad if you don't bring what you, your passion and what you love to do. So again, I love the fact that you looked at it at opportunity, that you're still in love with what you do. You still believe that you're a restorationist at heart. And one of the best things that I could say is that to me will allow me to in the future, remember you and understand that this is passion. This is what you believe that you are meant to do. So, as someone who's like, if I ever need a restorationist, and like, I'm going to remember you and I'm going to have to to give you a call. Thank Still you. Don't do this four o'clock in
1: the morning. Let's do it exactly. Like yeah, exactly. I got you. I got you. I'll remember that.
0: uh Again, I just it, it's one of those factors. It's like I love doing this, and because of these kind of conversations, you said that it wasn't. Uh, it, entertainment of like what you do for a living but again we've made it entertaining we've we've shared some things together here today so i really do appreciate you um and what you do for a living and your business here so i'm gonna let you take the floor at the end of our conversation here is you let everyone know where they can find you uh email phone number everything under the sun this is your chance to promote go right ahead sergey
1: Oh, uh, that's, you know, it's 2022, so it's super easy. So we know Google, right? We already talked about it multiple times, so let's yep. give them credit again. So uh, Google is easier. Uh, RestorationHQ.us is our website address. Um, we built a website to help an um, educational. So if you're mm-hmm. looking for information, great place to go to. Culture is very important to us, so please check out Instagram, Facebook. You'll see a lot of funny, entertaining videos, educational videos, things that we're present at. As far as getting hold of us, the email, we made it very simple. It's info like information at Mm -hmm. restorationhq.us or our 24-7 emergency line, which is 480-256-1453. We have an app. We would love for anybody who's interested or to learn more about how to prepare for their buildings. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of lunch and learns. I think I'm up to about 58 different presentations at different topics of how you can protect your buildings before emergencies happen. And greatly reduce your recovery time., yeah. uh, we're talking about from ten to fourteen days down to three to five days, so you can be up and running. Um awesome. and you know, i I appreciate having the opportunity to speak to you. I am, you mentioned earlier, you're an extrovert. I'm a little bit introverted, but you've pulled out that, that fun out of me so thank you for that
0: thank you again i think it, a lot of it has to do with the conversation that we had here today you know give a little get a little and i always believe that and i'm so happy to share my my little world and you are now a part of that little world you have become a part of this family of Um, entrepreneurs business owners who are part of this group that we call a podcast but again I hope that uh, if there's anything that we can do is allow you to be heard and allow your story to be heard and that'll give people out there a chance to really reach out to you a little bit more so before we go ladies and gentlemen I have to do my little bit finding arizona podcast.com we make it easy for you guys to connect with us on social media that's finding arizona on everything twitter instagram facebook last but not least there is a place for you to go become a super fan that's patreon.com slash finding arizona podcast and after every episode we always say kisses hugs and belly rubs to our four-legged friends and we will catch you on the next episode good night y'all